This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. A decade ago, Act 10 was proposed by Governor Scott Walker. As the state legislature considered the bill, teacher unions called for a teacher walkout. Sickens, demonstrations in the state capitol, and many other disruptions. Democratic members of the state legislature refused to attend legislative sessions, and they even fled the state to go to, I think it was Illinois, to uh, prevent the state troopers from forcing them to attend. But eventually Act 10 was passed, and Act 10 changed the rules for collective bargaining, and the new law concentrated much more decision-making in the state legislature that had been previously left to local school districts. So now that was a decade ago. 10 years later, Brett Healy, president of the MacIver Institute in Madison, Wisconsin, has taken a look backward. Well, what happened back then and what have been the consequences? Thank you, Brett, for joining me on this 10-year retrospective on the Education Exchange. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Brett, could you first tell us exactly what was enacted into law by Act 10? What's the difference between that law and what the prevailing law had been before its enactment? What was it that made the teacher unions and the teachers themselves so upset? Uh, back in 2011, our newly elected governor, Scott Walker, faced an immediate uh, deficit of a approximately $150 million and a larger deficit headed into his first budget of $3.6 billion. And so Governor Walker, uh, who had ran on a hard pledge of never raising taxes, decided that in order to solve that deficit problem that was uh, uh, limiting collective bargaining to certain subjects and greatly scaling back the power of government unions here in this state to set free and uh, healthcare benefit le uh, levels. And so the governor uh, proposed uh, limiting collective bargaining to some workplace issues, um, uh, certain uh, salary increases based off, off of CPI, CPI, but everything else was scaled back. Uh, so you saw a dramatic change change in how collective bargaining would be done in Wisconsin. Uh, and that is part of the reason why you saw such a dramatic outpouring of, of emotion uh, from government workers and their unions uh, here in Wisconsin in their attempt to try and stop uh, the passage of uh, Act 10. So what other workers were affected besides the teachers? Because in the Education Next article I read on that, we, it was focused on the education side of things, but was it broader than that? Well, government workers here in Wisconsin. So the approximate uh, 70,000 uh, total state workers that we, uh, state government workers we have here in Wisconsin, we have about uh, 35,000 who work for the state of Wisconsin. We have about 35,000 who work for the UW system, our higher education system here in Wisconsin. So in addition to the um, 60 or so thousand uh, government workers at the school level, the K-12 education level, uh, you also had a sizable number uh, of, uh, of uh, government workers working for the state. So part of the change I think also was the elimination of the agency shop or at least revisions in that law. So. 
How has that changed? And, and maybe just describe that law a little bit, yeah. You're absolutely right. That is one of the more important parts of Act 10. Uh, Governor Walker proposed a change that would require uh, the local unions to seek an approval uh, vote from their local members each year. He set up a recertification process whereby in order for a union to represent their employees, they will be 50% of all the eligible employees uh, in order to, uh, to do that. Uh, it's important to note it's not uh, 50% of the employees who vote, but actually 50% of all employees. So if you do not vote, that's considered a no vote here in Wisconsin. What was some of the uh, noise and conflict and so forth that broke out at the time? At, on your website, you have quite a number of uh, events that you describe and so forth. So uh, it was quite an event that uh, I guess doesn't rise to the level of COVID, but uh, it, it it was a major event in Wisconsin at the time. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a dramatic time here uh, at the Capitol. Um, weeks upon weeks of protests. Um, you saw a large number, thousands, tens of thousands of government employee orders testing each and every state capitol, actually attempting to take over uh, the state capitol, setting up uh, living camps and all sorts of other arrangements. Uh, so there was a, quite an outpouring of, uh, of emotion on, uh, on this proposal, uh, not something we had not seen here in Wisconsin for, for decades. Um, and I, I don't think it's anything uh, that uh, we're, we're going to forget for some time. It was, it was that, uh, that dramatic. Well, the governor was recalled, as I recall. He, he was, there was a petition that enough people signed that he had to go up to the voters to retain his position. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, the uh, unions and, and all of their supporters uh, did force a recall. They, they secured enough uh, signatures to force that election. Governor Walker uh, took the challenge head on, uh, faced the prosecutor in our state's history to, to, uh, to be recalled. Uh, but uh, what happened, um, I think you saw enough taxpayers, fees, um, 12.6% towards their health insurance, 6% towards their retirement wasn't uh, outrageous or, or, or too much to ask, uh, given the fact that most private sector workers here in Wisconsin pay more, more, more than that towards their own uh, situation. So uh, you actually saw Governor Walker survive the recall. Uh, win re-election, and he actually received more votes uh, in the recall than he did in his original election back in 2010. So uh, while there was uh, great consternation and uh, uh, many, many people at the state capitol, you clearly had a silent majority, a bigger of uh, hardworking taxpayers who uh, who believed that Governor Walker was correct, uh, didn't want to see their taxes raised in order to deal with the fiscal crisis we were in and thought it was an appropriate uh, strategy uh, to ask government workers to finally pay something towards their own pension to actually contribute 12% towards their own health insurance. So has the Wisconsin model, has Act 10 become a model for other states? Is there any evidence that this uh, approach, which really was a significant change from the past, uh, has been adopted elsewhere? Uh, I'm not aware of uh, of any other states uh, um, 
taking up the cause and, and following uh, Governor Walker's lead, uh, the immediate state that tried to do the same sort of reforms to collective bargaining, uh, I believe that was actually a failure uh, by then. Uh, unions had had time to prepare and organize, and uh, I believe they were successful in defeating collective bargaining reform in, in our neighboring state of Michigan. So Michigan uh, considered it. The governor tried to promote it, but uh, they the the unions uh, won in that case. So it's it's ten years later. There have been a lot of time now to look back and reflect upon that event. What do you see as some of the major consequences of this legislation? Any discussion needs to start with the criticisms and the attacks on Act 10 collective bargaining reform when we were uh, going through the uh, process back in 2011. We heard all sorts of dire predictions that the sky would fall, our schools would uh, crumble, our kids would be wandering the streets aimlessly without teachers in front of their classroom. Uh, but that, that didn't happen. Uh, and much to the surprise, maybe not the surprise, uh, of big labor and the union bosses, life carried on here in Wisconsin and in many ways uh, didn't change at all. Uh, some ways got a little better. Uh, so the, the initial prediction that Act 10 would be catastrophic and fundamentally change uh, life here in Wisconsin just didn't pan out, was not true. Back in 2010, we had approximately 59,000 teachers, um, and uh, we were told that uh, everyone would be leaving the profession. Uh, today, as we sit here today, we have over 62,000 teachers employed in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, their starting salary back in 2010, uh, 2011 was about $49,000 plus benefits. Uh, today it's 57,590 uh, plus benefits. So uh, the idea that somehow uh, asking government employees, state uh, our, our teachers to pay a modest sum towards their health insurance and pension, that that would decimate uh, um, uh, government employees here in the state's just not true. It, these are very good jobs, uh, very uh, well-paid, compensated, great benefits. Uh, individuals want these jobs. They, they, they want to hang on to these jobs these jobs. So uh, uh, the, the dire prediction that we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't have any government employees here in Wisconsin, thanks to Act 10, just hasn't turned out to be true. And in fact, the complete opposite is true. Well, how about the pensions, though? Because uh, I think people were afraid they'd, they'd lose their pensions, they lose their medical benefits. What's happened to the pensions? Uh, are they as, as good as before or, or not? Oh, uh, yeah. Again, one of the initial attacks uh, uh, leading up to the passage of Act 10 was a rumor going around that somehow uh, the governor uh, wouldn't stop uh, with uh, Act 10 and he would pursue more reforms of our, of our pension system. And so you saw a small wave of teacher retirements uh, before Act 10 uh, passed. Uh, but uh, again, none of the doomsday uh, prediction be true. Our pension is in great shape here in the state of Wisconsin. Obviously, some of that has to do with the fact that government employees actually contribute to their own, their own pension. A little known fact, but prior to Act 10, few 
government employees at the state and local level, very, very few, hundreds we're talking, actually contributed towards their own pension uh, through collective bargaining and through the largesse of the unions and their power. Uh, they were able to uh, have taxpayers pick up both payments towards the pension. And so uh, just by making that simple change, having our government employees contribute towards their own pension made a significant financial difference in the state and at the local level. Uh, our estimate shows that uh, the pension savings alone, thanks to Act 10, is $9 billion, $9 billion. And so uh, I think it shows just how, um, how much savings there were uh, with this reform. And it's, it's, it's actually the, uh, the, the, the true beauty of Scott Walker's proposal is uh, it was so simple, yet it made such a profound difference. Today, we have the only uh, fully funded pension system in the country. Not all due to Act 10. We have, a, we have a very unique system that the way it's set up. But Act 10 and having uh, those 70,000 state employees and the 60,000 or so school employees contribute towards their pension clearly has uh, helped us fully fund our pension system. Now that's not $10 billion a year though. That's uh, 10 billion over the 10 years. So, but you might say a billion dollars a year uh, yeah. on average uh, savings. Now, is that money being used in other ways? Uh, is that, do the schools, uh, how about the, the money that's available to, to pay salaries and to, and to just run the schools? Are districts in a better position uh, since since Act 10? Clearly, uh, school districts and local units of government are in a much better position. Um, the state of Wisconsin did not require any of the savings, either from the pension or the health insurance uh, contributions, to come back to the state. So all of those savings that you uh, see, the $13.9 billion total, uh, that all stayed with the unit of government. And so um, while... Um, the unions don't like to talk about it. Um, it this Act 10 clearly helped increase funding of uh, K-12 education in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, and you couple that with some of the recent uh, increases that we've seen in our state budget toward, uh, going towards K-12 education. Uh, we've never had uh, uh, so much money being spent on K-12 education in our state's history. Uh, uh, and that is, uh, I think, thanks in part to Act 10 and the fact that uh, that savings uh, could be utilized at the local level for programming, uh, other support staff, uh, all sorts of purposes. Well, how about student achievement? When I looked at student achievement in Wisconsin about that time, uh, it, it was not doing as well as Texas. Uh, Texas came up as a comparison state and I looked at how the African-American students were doing in Texas and how they were doing in Wisconsin and they were doing better in Texas. Then I looked at the Hispanic Americans and I found the same thing. And then I looked at the white students and I found the same thing. So you look within each of these ethnic groups and Texas was outperforming Wisconsin. Now has Wisconsin been able to change that? Well, I'd say our, our challenges with uh, certain populations within our education system have been longstanding, uh, and it's clearly something we need to work more on. Uh, I would argue that uh, Act 10 uh, 
has very little to do with that. Uh, those challenges existed before Act 10, and, and we're going to deal with them, uh, as you point out, for many, many years. Um, the one basic metric are ACT scores. Uh, we have always, our children have always done well com in comparison to their to their peers in other states. Uh, we were always one or two. Uh, we'd uh, be fighting with our neighbor, Iowa, for the top ACT uh, average score in the country. Uh, we've dipped a little bit recently, uh, but we're still uh, near the top and uh, doing well uh, based on that metric. Uh, but you, you're exactly right. Uh, when it comes to achievement gaps and some other uh, populations within our, our K-12 uh, population, we certainly have more work to work to be done. And you're seeing uh, in our most recent state budgets, uh, dollars being allocated towards that those problems. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time before we see, see some improvement uh, from our African-American children, our Hispanic children. Um, uh, and of course we have the country's largest choice program uh, so uh, while COVID has kind of put a pause on a lot of this uh, education reform in Wisconsin, uh, I do think um, uh, we have a wide array of uh, options, uh, both within public uh, charter, but also then uh, private schools that will uh, meet the needs of, of all of our children, best meet the needs of all of our children and not just force them to to uh, rely on the, the traditional brick and mortar schools. Well, we now have a Democrat as a governor in Wisconsin, Tony Evers. Now, has he tried to uh, overturn Act 10 or to modify it in some way? Uh, it has uh, not really been changed in the 10 years. Uh, there was a uh, slight change uh, during the Walker tenure. Uh, he was approached by school districts who uh, told him that um, in some instances, rather than have a hard and fast number on the contribution from the state employee or the teacher, that uh, they were looking for some flexibility and that perhaps they would seek a higher deductible for their health insurance plan. And that uh, while that technically would be outside the language passed in Act 10, uh, Governor Walker agreed that uh, the overall goal was for government employees to reach that 12% that level. And so we did add in some flexibility for uh, local units of government to reach that 12%. Uh, in terms of uh, moving forward and, and the fact that uh, Governor Evers, a Democrat uh, and former state superintendent of public schools here in Wisconsin, has been in office for a couple of years. Uh, in his first budget, the 2019-2021 budget, he did not attempt to modify or overturn Act 10. I think that caught a lot of people by surprise here in Wisconsin. Uh, he, had, he had run against Governor Walker uh, saying that he would uh, overturn Act 10 and uh, return all collective bargaining rights to government employees uh, as they once were. Uh, but just this week, Governor Evers has introduced his next budget, the 2021-2023 budget. And in that budget, uh, he is uh, um, seeking to modify Act 10. Uh, he claims it is not a full overturn of Act 10. Uh, we're still looking through the language. It does look like to us 
that it would essentially gut Act 10 and once again allow the unions to be in charge of collective bargaining and more importantly, uh, in charge of uh, how much their members would pay towards their own health insurance and or pension. So this is a, a possibility, but uh, I, I, I take it the Republican legislature is not going to necessarily uh, respond to the governor's initiative. No, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, we are hearing um, from various leaders. Um, there's obviously not a uh, caucus-wide position at this point, uh, just days into the introduction of the budget, but uh, it does seem clear that the legislative Republicans uh, will uh, jettison Act 10 out of the uh, budget documents, and actually we're hearing that they're likely to um, start over uh, and work off of a base budget and rather than start with Governor Evers' proposal. That, of course, would mean that uh, Act 10 would uh, still uh, be in effect and would be safe for the, for the short term. So how about the uh, Republicans, if they get the gubernatorial seat back in the next election, are they likely to press forward and enact still further changes in the legislation or are they happy with what they have? Well, I, I think certainly uh, they are happy with the results, um, you know, 14 billion in savings and, and our estimate is conservative. Uh, it's, it's tough to track the savings that you realize from health insurance uh, premiums and or changes to your health insurance plan. Um, there's no central location to report those savings to the state to state government. Uh, so we do our best, but uh, we we are uh, we are on the conservative side with our with our 14 billion in savings. So I, I, I think every Republican here in the state of Wisconsin uh, who runs for public office is very happy with Act 10. Uh, while the, um, the critics of Act 10 and, and the unions don't like to talk about it, uh, Republicans will gladly point out that it did keep uh, government employees uh, safe in their jobs. It didn't, uh, it meant that we did not have to res uh, use uh, layoffs or firings to get through our, our fiscal crisis. So uh, when it comes to Republicans, I think it's they, they believe Act 10's a win-win situation for everyone involved. So changing the subject slightly before we uh, draw to a conclusion, I know our audience wants to hear about Wisconsin's response to school closings and uh, amidst the pandemic. What, what's What's the policy that's evolved in Wisconsin? Are the, are the schools closed throughout the state or is it a mixed bag or, or just what, this, what is the situation? Yeah, we're actually uh, about ready to publish uh, some research on this. Um, so Milwaukee and Madison did uh, essentially close down learning last year. Uh, and they uh, said that it was because of a lack of technology uh, for their students and the inability of their students to access uh, virtual learning. And so um, they decided that rather than try and work through the problem and, 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 and get 
kids the tools they needed to continue with virtual learning at the start of the pandemic, that they would instead, uh, um, uh, that that wouldn't be fair to uh, everyone and that they decided that they would just uh, try and make do with physically printing off uh, lesson plans and uh, making those available to parents and to children who could get to a common site. Uh, so yes, uh, Madison and Milwaukee were the two most high profile school districts. And uh, obviously the, those are two of our largest school districts in the state. And uh, generally the, the school districts that uh, uh, see uh, our, our children of color struggle. So that was frustrating to watch. Uh, today, uh, as we sit here in February, um, most of our school districts are back open to in-person uh, instruction. Uh, the vast majority across the state have, uh, have actually uh, returned back to some sense of normalcy. We probably have 30 or 40 school districts that have a more hybrid uh, or virtual model going on. Uh, some of them, uh, of those 30 or 40, we have a, a single day in-person instruction or, or maybe two days where one half of the student population shows up the first day and the, the second half of the population sh shows up the second day. Uh, and then we have a, still a handful of school districts that are all virtual, uh, Milwaukee and Madison, again, uh, leading the way. Um, Milwaukee has announced plans to try and get back to uh, the start of a return to in-person, uh, but they are not, um, they are taking their sweet time. Uh, their union would like to see all teachers vaccinated uh, fully before they do that. And you're seeing the same sort of uh, debate in, the, in Madison as well. So uh, thankfully, uh, most school districts, uh, having looked at the data and the science and, and Again, thankfully that our, our children have done pretty well against COVID-19. Um, most of our, the vast majority of our school districts have, have returned to a uh, largely in-person instruction model. Well, thank you, Brett. Uh, this is all terribly informative and it's really interesting to see how events uh, 10 years later look uh, very different than they do at the time what seems like a dramatic event that's going to transform the American educational system turns out to be a modest change that saves money for the state, but doesn't have a fundamental effect on the educational system. So thank you very much for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me, appreciate it. I've been speaking with Brett Healy of the McIver Institute in Madison, Wisconsin. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.